Hey all, and welcome back to another episode of There's Danger Here. I'm Leilani. And I'm Sam. And today we're going to be talking about a pretty infamous case, um, but I feel like some of the perspectives aren't really talked about too much, and so I'm going to bring in a lot more mental health than I feel like other people have about this case. I like that. Yeah. I love a good, like, mental health, like, trying to unpack it all. Yeah. So a lot of, I've seen, like, some documentaries, and I've read stuff, and I've heard a couple podcasts about um, the case that we're going to do and it's all like oh and she just broke once she met this man and it turns out there's a huge family history of mental health I'm like wait there wasn't a break like it's in the family yeah I feel like there usually is yeah. too. like it's but they just blame mm-hmm. it on the fact that oh she was fine until she met this guy yeah like, when really yeah. It's compounding factors yeah. so all right let's get started Joshua Jackson JJ Vallow and Tylee Ryan disappeared in or on September 2019. At the time of their disappearance, they were living with their mother in Rexburg, Idaho. This came nine months after Charles, the father of the children, had called the police and reported that Lori, the mother of the children, was keeping the pair from him. Now keep in mind, the parents were married at this time. When speaking to police, he reported that Lori was not of sound mind, watching the documentary Sins of Our Mother, It seems that when police spoke with both parties, they heavily heavily favored Lori. While she was remanded for mental evaluation, she was cleared by the state, and the children stayed with her. So how did this all happen? I mean, I feel like it's pretty common that mothers get their kids. Oh, yeah, and there's body cam footage that they actually show in the documentary, and um, it's clear that Charles is very, like, Put together with it and it's just like listen she's saying all these things I actually got this thing where she had to go um within the state I guess if there's like claims of mental health problems they have to go get an evaluation by the state and he had all that paperwork he's like I like she needs to be evaluated something is happening yeah she's threatening to kill me like all these things are happening and when you see body cam footage I think I talk about it later in the podcast Um, but when you see the footage, it is so evident that when the police are talking to Lori, they're just charmed by her and they're like, oh, ha ha ha. Like she's a good looking woman. She, she has pretty good looking when she's put together. So that will do it. Still, I know. Still, just do your job. Do it appropriately. Yeah. I mean, I've, I've lived in Idaho Yeah, and feel like they don't necessarily like have like there, a lot of my friends became cops. Let's yeah. just say that. <laughs> be suspicious of everybody, okay? Yeah. Okay. So I think it'd be fair to start with the mother in all of this, because um, she's going to be one of the key players here. So Lori Vallow was born Lori Noreen Cox on uh, June 26, 1973, in Rialto, California, to parents Janice and Barry Cox. Lori was the second youngest of four siblings, Stacy, Alexander, Adam, and Janice. The brother becomes um, kind of significant later on in Lori's life, particularly Alex. So just kind of remember his name for later. We'll talk a bit about him. All of the reports I found, Lori grew up in a healthy and loving family as part of the LDS church following the Book of Mormon. A childhood friend of Lori's reported that the Cox family grew up in a large house and that Lori grew up being spoiled. While the family was active in the LDS community, they didn't attend church weekly that the family was far more showy than the rest of their LDS community members. So, like, you know how I feel like when LDS community is kind of portrayed, they're very 
conservative. You know, a lot of times women wear dresses uh, if they're mainstream LDS. And yeah, I've grown up with like a large Mormon population around me mm-hmm. and I feel like you get the, a mixed bag yeah. for sure, but I know that like the intention is not to really show off mm-hmm. your wealth necessarily. Yeah. And so um, childhood friends of Lori's were like, oh no, they had big house, they had a pool, the mom was always wearing flashy clothes yeah, and things that's... like that. And it was just, it's not really mainstream. Yeah, that's a little bit more unique. Mm-hmm. The parents were considered more absent and unconventional. Unconventional. Goodness. Starting off already and I can't say words. Your mouth will wake up soon. (laughs) Need more coffee. Then many at the time, even vacationing to Hawaii for weeks at a time during Lori's school years, sometimes leaving the children home alone. Oh, wow. Yeah. When they did this, they would give Alex, the eldest boy, checks to continue to buy food and necessities for others. But Alex was young, so instead he'd often buy, like, pizza and things just for him like he'd be like yeah whatever i'm a team like i'm gonna get what i want my parents (laughs) left me home once when i was in high school and they went to hawaii that was one of the wildest weeks of my life (laughs) i remember it well i won't talk about my childhood (laughs) i wasn't uh i was born in the 80s man we grew up in the time that we were latchkey kids oh yeah i woke myself up with an alarm clock in the morning and my mom came home you know, after she was done with work, she was gone. Oh, lot. yeah. Yeah. I I had like neighbors, quote, air quotes right there checking in on me. But yeah. Oh, I had next door neighbors on like one side of me and across the street that were always, you know, watching. And so, but we were definitely. Yeah. I was smart too. Yeah. Like friends parked down the road <laughs> and you'd walk to my house that looked like no one was going to be over. And you didn't hang out upstairs. You only hung out where there's no windows. and Oh, yeah. Keep yeah. the doors locked. Yeah, we were smart. <laughs> All right. So, Lori would often have to step up and watch and care for her younger sibling. Um, since, again, Alex is just doing his own thing, which is, I mean. Yeah, I get it. Typical. Additionally, Lori's parents did not pay taxes at the time. And as a result, ended Ooh. up dealing with the IRS for years, it goes on. Um, they actually get a little, I don't know what's the word it's fanatical at the end where they're like we're free citizens we don't have to pay taxes yeah (laughs) sovereign citizens i don't yeah i think they say something and they're like you know the government's lying about all this and right it it goes it's a saga it goes on for a long time yeah um barry actually didn't believe in them like i said and he wrote books touting how the irs was actually a criminal organization so right off the bat, we've got some extreme ideals in this household that I think are undercut a lot of the times. Like people aren't talking about these and they can affect children growing up if you start. Oh, this is all you're listening to. And your parents are like, absolutely not. The government's out to get you. Definitely. OK, that's what you're going to grow up believing. Yeah. Um, naturally, the result of this was periods of increased poverty as the government required repayment of taxes. So no reports I found say that the children were affected or even aware of what the parents were dealing with in a monetary sense because hmm. um, they stayed in the house, it seems like, while they were growing up. It is highlighted in many reports that Lori was, a, was good and a popular student throughout her high school years, but her parents were thought to be gamblers and frequenting like the racetrack and things like that. Many times they'd actually bring Lori along as Barry touted her to be his good luck charm. Oh, so, so they just take her out of class and be like, she's going to come with us for the day. And they go to the racetracks. Money management is not their strong suit, it sounds like. <laughs> Absolutely not. 
absolutely not. They even rewarded her with um, extra trips to Hawaii with them. And it was then that Lori started to fall in love with the islands, which is going to come back later in this story. When Lori was in sixth grade, Janice put Lori on a diet. While Lori was a little on the heavier side, she wasn't a fat person. If you see photos of her, she's got a little chunk to her, but there's not. Like, she's not obese. Right. There's nothing egregious about it. But still, Janice wanted her to become a cheerleader and at the time put her on the church's softball team while Janice herself coached it. Janice would make fun of Lori in front of her friends um, if she ever caught her eating things that Janice found unhealthy or inappropriate. Oh, that will mess with a woman for life. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Even that diet word, I feel like is not oh, the right word to fat. use. Yeah. When you're trying to make your kid healthy. Yeah. Like, and it sounds like Janice probably wasn't too concerned about the health as much as she was about the image. The looks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So in the book, The Doomsday Mother, one of Lori's close friends said that Lori would spend Friday nights and even holidays at her house rather than Lori's, which is, again, kind of indicative of what the house is like. Yeah. Uh, in seventh grade, Lori admitted that her brother Alex wanted to have sex with her and that had he had been making sexual moves on her but as a seventh grader Lori's friend was unsure what to do and never brought it up to her parents and Lori never spoke of it again after that one time Hmm. but still please remember this because Alex comes back in some weird ways of course he's creepy Uh, In 1988, when Lori entered Eisenhower High School, she did as her mother wanted and joined the cheerleading squad, befriending another member, Bernadette. Bernadette reports at this time Lori was attending seminary classes before school every morning, um, but still she was uh, fun to have around, and the cheer squad often hung out at Lori's house. Again, she had like a big pool in the backyard. The parents were very flashy. Her senior year, Lori began dating Nelson Yanes, a fellow senior. Through, though Nelson was not liked by Lori's childhood friend who reported him to be a hothead, even yelling at Lori in the halls of the school. Lori graduated in 1991 and shortly after moved in with Nelson. And then in 1992 at 19, Lori eloped at Las, to Las Vegas and married Nelson, but the marriage ended quickly. Lori claimed that Nelson was physically abusing her during the relationship. I mean, it's really almost never a good idea to marry someone. At the age of 19. No, I can attest to that. I got married at 18, I think. Yeah. And we're still great friends, but it definitely was like, wow, we were You just don't not know. ready for that. You don't know who you are, really. Yeah. Like, you're, and I think it's a lottery if you find someone that you continue to grow with. Like, yeah. And, but you're not fully developed. They're not fully developed. Yeah. How do you know? You have they, no idea what you're life dreams are even like yeah you want the nice house with the pool with the cars but yeah. like what does that mean yeah how hard do you work for it like all of the you know mm-hmm. all of the adult things that yeah. you don't think about oh, at do the you age of 18. kids how are you going to raise your kids what right. do you want to do with your life do you want to stay where you are all of the things yeah. yeah i get it no i totally get it um personally i should have stayed with my my 18 year old guy he was amazing but we're still great friends we're but i'm still i'm like we were like fire together because we were both hothead, like yeah. just immature, too immature. For yeah. That. Anyway, I'll get off my tangent now. <laughs> now I want to shed some light on the other family issues that will show kind of the pan- pattern of mental Ill- 
health issues within the family. So like I said, a lot of people or a lot of stories don't touch on anything but Lori. They don't talk about that there's mental health in the family, but there very clearly is a history of it. Um, so at this time, Stacy, again, that's Lori's sister, was in a custody battle with her spouse, Steve. And this is when Lori's like, you know, end of high school. At this time, they lived in Washington State. Their daughter, Melanie, who was born in 1989, had been diagnosed with type 1 diabetes, and repeatedly, Stacy would refuse to allow Mel Melanie insulin or follow the doctor-prescribed regimen to keep Melanie safe and healthy, which can be super dangerous for a type 1. Like, that's life or death. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Not to mention, like, they're not going to grow appropriately if they're not getting was, the nutrients they need. I was going to say, also just, like, a lifetime of, like, putting that child behind yeah it, even just like the education of that disease like you have to know that from the beginning mm -hmm. in august of 1995 steve outlined stacy's physical and mental illness submitting a motion for custody he reported quote stacy has always admitted to me and others that her family was a psychological hornet's nest her mother janice cox is obsessed with issues of weight physical appearance and feminine bodies, end quote. Mm -hmm. So it's clear. Um, that by mid-1994, Stacy viewed foods as poisonous, becoming germaphobic, and by the end of the year was hospitalized herself multiple times, requiring a feeding tube. Oh. So wow. not only is she not taking care of her daughter, she's not taking care of herself. That's like an extreme mental health condition right there. Yeah. Stacy would often decline going to the hospital. Instead, she wanted a vacation in Hawaii. So, again, the whole family's loves in those Hawaii. islands. Yeah. I mean, they're beautiful, but come on now. Yeah. The report further states that the proof of Melanie's poor health due to her mother's ill attention were that two of her teeth grew in without enamel, owing to the lack of calcium in her body. Oh, my gosh. Mm -hmm. Stacy didn't believe in milk. And when Steve would buy groceries, Stacy would wait until he went to work and then either return them or throw them out. Oh, I would be so angry at my partner. Mm -hmm. In March of 1995, Steve left on a business trip and returned home to find Stacy had left with Melanie, returning to her parents' home. And again, these two are still married. Like, he hasn't divorced her yet. But he's like, legally, like, you need some, you need help. The two lived with Janice and Barry for three months before Steve was able to convince them to return home. Steve says that when they returned home, Melanie was not acting like a normal child. She often reported to be a three-year-old boy speaking in a high-pitched tone. And Steve had at this point, um, he, so he had it, and he petitioned for sole custody. Eventually winning the case, at which point um, he divorced Stacy. Mm. So... Again, mental health in the family. And the fact that Melanie was, like, a relatively, I don't know, quote-unquote, like, normal-ish child, right, right, mentally, and then goes and stays with them for three months and then comes back and is like, oh, no, I'm a, like, toddler boy now. Right. Like, like that's... Something happened. Yeah. That's a it, significant shift in yeah. three months. Because you would think, you know, if she had thoughts of anything like this before, you know, like, Steve would have seen it. Because right. three months is so short that... He would have known his own it's daughter. It's a drastic change yeah. over a, a summer. Yeah. Now back to Lori. So three years after her first marriage and divorce to Nelson, on October 22nd, 1995, she married again, this time to William. Um, I don't know how to say his last name. Again, I always pick the hard words. 
and I look them up and I like will put like phonetic stuff on here to like remind me right but then I'm usually on to the next case before we have come back to record and I'm like dang it you forget like your phonetic cues even yeah (laughs) so I think it's like I think it's LaGoya there's an extra I in there that's throwing me off so it's William our relationship seemed sour from the start. Lori frequently called 911. In February of 1996, Lori accused him of mentally and physically abusing her, but the case was dismissed when Lori failed to show up for court. On April 8, 1960, 1966, oh my gosh, 1996. What? A waste of everyone's energy. Mm-hmm. Like, you put that poor man through lawyers and stress and, like, the thought of what the reality would be if everything went her way in court and then she doesn't even walk through the doors. Yeah. Like, that's such bullshit. That's a punishment in itself. It is. Still, um, on April 8th, 1996, Lori gave birth to her first child, and it was a son named Colby. The relationship fizzled, and they finally divorced in 1998. For the next few years, Lori and Colby bounced around as Lori attempted to earn a living as a hairstylist. Colby reports these years as hectic, that he needed to grow up quickly to help his mother. That they moved frequently as if they were always trying to get away. And so this is all from him. It's not direct quotes, but this is kind of like what he was saying. In May of 1998, Janice and Barry took Lori and Colby along with sister Summer to vacation in Hawaii. However, Alex stayed behind as older sister Stacy was now at their house and her health continued to decline. Not a great role model. No. And while they were in Hawaii, Stacy was brought back to the hospital after Alex found her unconscious. She was admitted into hospice and passed away on May 21st, 1998 at 31 years old. I was just going to say, how old was she? She was 31. Mm -hmm. What was her cause of death, you know? Uh, I didn't look into that, but I'm thinking that it was probably system failure from being anorexic and... Or not eating nutrients. Oh, yeah. She's definitely not in where where were they at at this point? What state? Are they in Idaho already? No, they're in no, California. They're so. in California. Okay. Yeah, that's where the main household was. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Almost a year later, on May 3rd, 1999, Barry's legal issues with the IRS finally came to a head, and he was sentenced to 366 days in prison. And had to pay restitution in the amount of a quarter million dollars back Whoa. to the IRS. That's how much. I told you. All throughout this this whole story is all this IRS stuff. I, that would take me like my like life. 25 years worth of unpaid taxes <laughs> to get to that point, I, I feel like. Yeah. That's insane. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. And then in 2001, Lori met a man named Joseph Anthony Ryan Jr., at the hair salon she worked at in Driftwood, Texas. He was 43 at the time and was a business analyst who grew up in foster care. By 2002, the two eloped to Maui and were married on the beach. Joseph adopted Colby, and on September 24, 2002, Tylee Ashley Ryan was born. For the first time in years, it sounds like Joseph was considered to be, or for the first years, excuse me, Joseph um, was considered to be a loving husband, Colby loved having a sister, feeling that his family was complete, at least from the outside. There is a report that Joseph's sister, Annie, was invited to the house with her own children. And while she was there, she witnessed Lori bleach her new baby's roots to her blonde. 
No. Yeah. Oh, no. Yeah. So if you know anything about hair care or bleaching at all, it burns, especially if it touches the scalp. But why do you care what a newborn's hair oh, looks so like? there's so many layers to how disgusting that is. Like... And you don't, and people don't talk about her having a mental health problem from the beginning. Oh, like, that would be. We're dying our baby's hair. A newborn baby. Yeah, that's just another level of insane. <laughs> it's just, uh, There are people who do that, though, huh? Like, that's yeah. like a thing. That blows my mind a little bit. But a newborn? No, I oh, mean. No. Yeah. I mean, there's crazy. like, what is there that used to be that show, like, Toddlers and Tears right. or whatever it was, where, but I think most of the time they wore wigs over top of it, I thought. I don't know. I've never actually seen the It'd show be because crazy I was like, if those moms were more bananas. sane than that, like, they like, are more sane than yeah, she that's is. Crazy. But yeah, so, um, Annie also witnessed Joseph's temper as he pulled Colby down the hall and beat him with a belt when Colby, Colby got in trouble. As a reminder, Colby was around seven at this time. Mm. When Annie brought this up to Lori, Lori had like a nonchalant attitude over the excessive punishment of the children. And Annie was like, absolutely not. There is something wrong with you guys. Like, you might be my brother. We grew up in foster care. We had a hard life. But this is not how you act. And she ties with him after this. Good for her. Yeah, rightly so. Yeah. Lori applied for and appeared on Wheel of Fortune in 2003 winning uh, $17,500 and telling host Pat Sajak about her wonderful husband and children. Shortly after, she entered the Miss Hayes County beauty pageant and won. And so, remember, she's got, like, pretty much a newborn at home. And she has managed to get fit enough that she can do, like, the bikini portion of this. And there's pictures of it. She does look fantastic. But you're like, you would have had to do, like, extreme dieting and workouts to get back to that body. she's been training since she was, what, like, eight years old or whatever it was? Yeah. Yep. The win automatically entered Lori into the Miss Texas pageant. Where she said, quote, being a mom is very important to me and a good wife and a good worker. And being all those things together is not easy. So I'm basically a ticking time bomb, end quote. Which, yeah, what kind of (laughs) foreshadowing is that statement? Because that is true. She was a ticking time bomb. Lori made it to the top 15 semifinalists, but missed the cutoff for the top five. Lori started to believe at this time. Um, that Tylee was a reincarnation of her sister Stacy, which is weird that she thinks this, and then later on she's so brutal to Tylee. Yeah, like if you think you're a reincarnation of your sister, don't you think that you'd be like extra caring and loving? Yeah, I mean, there's you know, who knows what? Like maybe she felt that way for a day. <laughs> <laughs> um, then within days of returning to the pet. From the pageant, Lori filed for divorce. According to Colby, this also coincided with his admission that Joseph had become inappropriately touching him, turning to molestation. Subsequently, they divorced in 2005, and Lori reports it was around this time that she turned back to the temple for healing, strengthening her faith. She also brought out to... I can read sometimes. Um, She also brought Melanie out to the house. Again, this is her niece, um, who had turned 15 around this time to help nanny for Colby and Tylee. So now she's got the influence over Melanie. In the background, the divorce finalized with Joseph, and under Texas law, it was considered a no-fault divorce. This meant that Lori and Joseph shared custody of Tylee, 
and he had to pay $1,500 a month in child support. On August 30th, Lori filed for bankruptcy as she owed approximately $724,000. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So she just spends, and I think she just was used to spending his money and without it there. It's like, well, I'm just going to keep spending and then ended up in bankruptcy. I have to say, like, I've never been through a divorce, so I really, I can't really speak to the reality of this. But I feel like women get like sort of a good end of the deal sometimes. Like he, they, they shared custody, but then he still had to pay her money. Yeah, it depends on the state, I think, and kind of the precedence. Where we live, it's a very weird state, I can tell you. Um, so even if. So even if one party gets full custody, no matter if it's, you know, the wife or the husband or ex at the time, um, even if they get full custody, you cannot leave the state of Oregon without first informing the other parent and then they have the right to petition it. If they petition it, you have to go to court and you have to be able to prove like beyond a reasonable doubt that their life will be so much better and that it's imminent that you leave the state. And pretty much Oregon's like, no, we're a great state. You can't leave. Whoa. And they can be a non-custodial parent and still win the right for you to be forced to stay in the state. Um, I share custody with my kids and he pays me. It's not like a large amount. And I remember when we first got divorced, he threw a hissy fit about it. And I was like, it's like, so for three kids, it's like $500. It's not a ton. No. And everybody's like, why? You make plenty of money. I'm like, because he doesn't pay for like, I have the kids' life insurance. I have, like, all the kids' right. thing. And I was like, because he still has to pay for half of that. And I'm like, that's literally all I asked. So, and, like, $1,500 is right. and a kind of excessive amount. I think that women do a lot of times get kind of off on getting I, money for nothing. Yeah, I feel like it's, it's sort of a good deal. Should, yeah. And I've seen some, like, court episodes. There's one judge that I... I wish I could remember her name, um, but I've only ever seen like clips of what she talks about and she's very fair. And I love the clips where she basically, the woman is like, well, I want more money because now he has a better job. And the judge is like, no, this money is supposed to be for your child and it should be enough to sustain your child, not to lavish your life. And right. she, nine times out of 10, if they go back to court and the woman's asking for money, she'll actually like break down both of their income what the child needs and then they end up getting less overall and oh, I, I love it love it every time I love I'm like yeah. you don't need more like I get like I said I get a very small amount but that is half of what we pay for everything for the kids right so that's all that needs to be paid and like your relationship ended so why do you feel entitled to the new job that this person has mm -hmm. like mm -hmm. you you both decided what, for whatever circumstances that it was done mm -hmm. which means you move forward with your life separately. Yeah. So he gets to move forward and make more money. And, yeah. and it doesn't mean that it still goes to you. You're not entitled to it. You gave that up when you got divorced. Yeah. Like, yeah, I don't know. It's, I've, again, I've never been divorced. I actually am afraid to get married because of All divorce. The <laughs> yeah. 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 It's it's a lot. Yeah. Um, all right. So relatively quickly, a new romance began in late 2005 when 49-year-old Leland Anthony Vallow, who went by Charles, walked into yet another salon she was working. On February 24, 2006, the pair were married in again Las Vegas. Mm -hmm. Charles converted to his faith to LDS and joined Lori's church. That's quite the, that's a, I feel like that's a big jump. For oh, by all too. accounts, he was a 
great guy. Yeah. Like, through all of this, I feel for him. He was financially stable and had two sons of his own. For years, there seemed to be peace within this little family. However, August 8, 2006, Lori reported sexual abuse of Colby and Tylee by the now ex-husband Joseph. So not about Charles. Right. Um, but she finally was like, oh, I'm going to go to court about this issue that had been ongoing before. And it started to just kind of unsettle everything. Tylee at three denied any types of touching, but at one point she said she was afraid of her father, although she couldn't tell anybody why. Because of these allegations, Joseph was denied visitation rights during the investigation. Joseph agreed to a polygraph and passed. DNA evidence collected during seizures of Joseph's house were all negative as well. And I'll go to polygraphs. They don't really mean anything, but the fact that he was willing to take right. one kind of speaks to his character. Right. Um, and the reason I say that they don't mean anything is because people have been known to pass them. Um, I actually interviewed for a job of, uh, 20, 30 years ago, and I got my name wrong on a polygraph. I can't be polygraphed successfully because they're like, is your name, you know, and they said my whole name. I'm like, yes. And because there was background noise, I could like, I guess because I could hear what people, like there was people in the hall talking. And at one point they, the interviewer actually had to like go out and be like, listen, we're doing an interview. Like you literally can't be here. You know better. And then came back in, but because they couldn't substantiate like the, um, Your baseline. my base questions, yeah. I then all of my other questions, they were like, I, I don't know. No I don't know. I'm like, <laughs> what? Like, why am I strapped to this stuff then? Like, <laughs> like, do you need to get my mom? She's the one yeah. that named me. Yeah. And yeah. so, uh, yeah, I don't believe in polygraphs. I think yeah. that they're absolutely wasted, right. so especially after my own experience where I was like, literally, that's all it could take is if you hear somebody in the background, if your brain clicks to listening to it, you're doomed. Yeah. I was like, I failed my own name. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard. I've, I've had it my whole life. I've heard uh, like a cop friend of mine actually say like, don't ever agree to do it because oh. it, the only thing it's ever going to do is hurt you. Yeah. Like you can pass it and then everyone goes, they don't really mean anything. Like people you can fail, train yourself to pass it. But if you fail it, then that's going to be used against you over and over and over again. So yeah. just don't do it. Yeah. And stress can affect how you oh, answer totally. questions and like duress and all sorts of things because your mind's not working right but anyway yeah. so I just thought it was interesting um, that he did agree and he did pass so there's mm -hmm. that yeah on March 21st 2007 a now four and a half year old Tylee was interviewed by a therapist in which Tylee referred to Joseph as quote old daddy end quote mm -hmm. um Charles was the new one Right. The therapist asked about being hurt or touched, and she again denied it. However, when the therapist asked if anyone ever told her to say she had, Colby and Charles were named. I was surprised that she didn't name her mom. But she did say that, like, they told her she needs to say that it's been happening. I also, similar to polygraphs, unless the person interviewing a four-year-old is, like, one of the best experts in the field, I also almost don't believe anything that's said in those interviews i mean it was a child psychologist yeah but even like there can be bad child psychologists who yeah. just oh, yeah. like totally like the way you know yeah you ask a question like they'll answer what you they think they should mm -hmm. in that situation um, yeah 
they tend to do it if you ever watch like how they do it. It's a way different environment than they right. They're like playing and like using toys and yeah, like and bring up conversationally so they don't feel like they're being questioned. And I, they did say in reports that as soon as she named anybody, like the interview was done. Yeah, they didn't go into depth of like obviously where was she touched all these things because now the interview is like, well, this is being led on by family, so we can't trust most of this. Right. And then a month later, another therapist, Susan Shinsky, caught Lori coaching little Tylee on what to say. Uh, so it yeah. was like actually caught. That's evidence. Mm-hmm. You believe that. <laughs> yeah, right. There you go. Yeah. Subsequently, she wrote that Lori may genuinely believe Tylee was in danger, but her belief system was, quote, riddled with ghosts and fanatical religious dogma, end quote. Mm. On May 23rd, 2007. Lori was in court fighting against Joseph, who was trying to get his visitation rights back. During a recess in the cafeteria, Joseph walked by her, at which point she screamed out, saying that he hit her. Joseph was arrested for assault for this. And an attorney in the room, Keith Taniguchi, was present and said that Lori made it up just to get at Joseph. Oh. Like, you have, it's a room full of, like, lawyers and things like that, and you're just like, he just walks by, just... During a recess, and he's like, nope, he hit me just so that he can't see his own daughter. I mean, you would have some really great witnesses, I feel like, if you had to go to court for that. But Yeah. Around the same time, Charles was in his own custody battle with ex-wife Cheryl. Cheryl reported that she believed Lori enjoyed being the center of all this attention. On July 24th, 2007, a psychologist, Vivian Lewis, prepared a confidential sex offender assessment on Joseph. She found that Joseph was, in fact, not a danger, and as such, the grand jury declined to indict Joseph on any further charges. Oh, good. The same psychologist also wrote that Lori may have issues allowing Joseph to see his daughter. Um, she said that Lori, quote, who was mentioned to me that death would be an option before giving Tylee to her father, even for a visit, end quote. Oh. Mm-hmm. Lori, upon learning that custody rights would once again be shared, called on brother Alex, to whom she had been telling all about the assaults on the children. On Sunday, August 5th, 2007, Joseph left to reunite with Tylee, meeting her at, its name is ridiculous, the Kids Exchange Facility. Oh, God. <laughs> That's the actual name of the place. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine that sign on the building. Like, it's like. <laughs> The perfect place for trafficking. Like take a baby, leave it. <laughs> Get a baby. Like yeah. yours bothers you. Try this one out. Like, just, just, sounds like oh my god, that's a horrible oh my name. god. You I sort of love it. Said something. <laughs> um, but there Joseph was with her for two hours. At two fifteen he left the facility, walked into his car when Alex approached him. Joseph saw a woman nearby and asked her to stay as a witness. Like, he He had enough thought to be like, something's going down. Oh, yeah. And so Carrie Pernice asked, you know, what was wrong. And Joseph said that the man who was approaching them was Alex Cox and that he was his ex-wife's brother. Mm. Which is very, again, so smart. I mean, he had, okay, he had been through the ringer at this point already. Like, he's lived in the court system because of this crazy bitch she so, literally he walked by and she was like he yeah pushed. like she he knows oh she's you got would, games you would know everything you'd have every stuff pulled whenever mm-hmm. there was an interaction mm-hmm. 
Alex said that they needed to talk, but Joseph replied that they had nothing to talk about. Alex stated they did and then pulled out a taser, lunging at Joseph. So Joseph thought this was a gun and attempted to run before Alex set the taser off. Joseph hit the ground face first, fracturing his wrist, and he thought he was shot, but he got up and just continued to run. He was like, fuck this. Like, I'm I'm gonna get away with my life. Oh my God. Alex followed behind screaming, quote, I'm going to kill you, end quote. A second witness that was leaving the exchange saw Joseph running, chased by Alex with a weapon in hand. And again, they couldn't tell that it was a taser and not a gun because they look pretty similar, I guess, if you're moving. As the witness called 911, Alex ran back to his Pontiac and drove away. Later, Tylee reports that her mother and her were in, like, witnessing the event as they were sitting in Alex's car the whole time. Oh, that's so sick. Yeah. In January 2008, Lori failed to bring Tylee to uh, one of the supervised visits. And a month later, Joseph picked up Tylee at the kids' exchange again with a supervisor this time. As they left, two pickup trucks began to follow them. So they called 911 and were told to go to a public place and wait for police. Police noted their license plate numbers and Joseph was told to head home and lock the doors. Why didn't they just... I don't know. This seems like so, such an odd exchange when you read about this, that they noted the two vehicles following him, but they didn't, like, do anything to intervene. I'm like, there's already a supervisor for, like, a child visitation. Why wouldn't you maybe escort him home? I don't know. Right. It just seemed like an odd. Or, like, tell him to keep driving around and then send some cars out. Well, that's why they went to the public place. So they went to, a, like, a very open venue. Um, and parked and the police came to them so that way they could I mean because if they're driving around the police are have to hunt them down too okay yeah so but then so he went home after that yeah oh okay Mm -hmm. after the police came out um um, and then when they were done with like so they went home after this and then when they got ready to leave to basically bring Tylee back, a police sergeant had to come to the house and provide them an escort back to the kids' exchange. And again, they noted that two trucks were parked a few doors down. Hmm. That night, Joseph received a threatening phone call and told him that he could not try to visit Tylee anymore. Ten days later, Mary Fogel, who was Tylee's appointed guardian ad, ad litem, reported her concerns particularly citing that Tylee could be considered collateral damage in all the unfolding events, especially being there for the truck incident and remarking that Tylee was actually unfazed by it. On December 4th, a grand jury indicted Alex for the aggravated assault with a deadly weapon for the incident at the kids' exchange, but it wasn't until two months later on February 28, 2008, that Alex was arrested at work before being extradited to Austin, Texas. And I'm not sure where he lived at this time. I didn't look it up, but he wasn't in town. A month later, he pled guilty to the second degree felony and was sentenced to a whole 90 days in jail. 90 days. Yeah. And while there, he asked longtime friend Mary Tracy to get Joseph's address and a picture sent to him. Oh, okay. So he learned his lesson. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So now he's, you know that he's trying to get other inmates to like take this guy out claiming that he's a sex offender. Yeah. When it's been proven that he's not. This Poor, like my stomach like churns for Joseph. Mm-hmm. Like you would, you're like, I don't even know. I can't even think like what you do in that situation. You can't, you're, there's nothing. You're stuck in a legal battle and yeah. you have to make all the right steps. Cause if you already don't have 
full custody of your kids. Like, which is insane that the court didn't. insane. Deal and with this. You know that you need to save your daughter. Mm-hmm. Like, you know that you need to intervene because she's living with crazies. Mm-hmm. And the only way to do that is to play the long game. So I don't know if you've seen this, but I actually saw, so Alex is considered himself like a stand-up comedian, and I've actually seen one of his bits online, like it's actually pretty famous, and I had no idea it was him when I was watching it. Um, So in this, he actually used the incident as one of his routines, but he definitely fabricated many of the details. So he stated that he found out his ex-brother-in-law was a pedophile, taking a stun gun and discharged it into his nutsack. So it's clear he learned nothing about the incident and is disillusioned by Lori's fantastical made-up stories. So this bit, he really does. He's like, did you know, like, it's considered a felony? And he's like, so I went to prison for... Oh, I gotta find that. Doing, yeah, for discharging a stun gun, which he didn't. He it hit his back. And also, he's not a pedophile, actually. Right. Like, you're wrong. Yeah. And your sister's just out of her mind. And But it's like a famous bit. And people Is it like, funny? The way he sets it up, it would be. But now that I know it, I'm like, right. oh, that's not even, you know? Yeah. I mean, that's like such a great so example of like, you know, one person's form of reality is really like there's a lot of layers to it. Yeah. Like, but I, I had seen that thing like probably three or four times. And I, when I finally realized who it was, I was like, no shit. It like rings like a small amount of bells in my head so i can't wait to go find that yeah. and like when you see like, it you're gonna like, I'm gonna be like oh man this is this guy yeah who's also his rocker clearly uh supervised visits continued and tylee continued to be unable to keep a consistent story clear clearly still being coached by Lori about what was happening in september of 2008 the family moved to chandler arizona and charles was doing well allowing Lori to be a stay-at-home mom. Alex lived just a few miles away at this point. The distance, however, put even further strain on Joseph, and so his attorney, Keith, again, Taniguchi, filed a series of custody motions to bring Tylee back. Meanwhile, Lori enrolled Tylee in a charter school called Learning Foundations and Performing Arts of LF or LFPA in Gilbert. The LFPA specialized in performing arts programs, Still, custody issues can continue to present. On July 26, 2009, Joseph called the police on Lori at visitation for disturbing the peace of ch- the child by causing a confrontation in the presence of her. Then a week later, Lori refused to bring Tylee to a scheduled visit, and within the year, Lori would be found guilty of seven different counts of civil contempt. I mean... But nothing happens to her. I just don't get it. Like, don't worry. We didn't do anything about it. Like, not only did she leave the state, which in most states, if you share custody, you cannot do that. Um, They didn't force her to come back, which they should have. So now he's having to, like, fly out continually to see his own daughter, which is a financial burden in its It's own. It's incredible that he's still doing this. Yeah. Like, that he's still trying to be part of her life. Yeah. Like, that's how you know that he was a good father. Most people would have already given up. They would have been done. They'd been like, all right, well, I guess that's it. So many roadblocks, you win. Uh, hopefully I can talk to her when she turns 18. Yeah. And so, I mean, he just keeps going and I can respect that. That's very strong. Yeah. Um, in December, Joseph flew to see Tylee's school performance, but again was denied seeing Tylee for his scheduled holiday visit. 
Joseph even finally moved to Phoenix to be closer, losing out on a 40%, like 40% of his salary as a result. He took a pay cut to come live by her. Over the next two summers, Lori helped run a summer camp at the Chandler Center for the Arts, where Tylee was there performing in several plays and song and dance routines at this time. Yeah, I and like Joseph doesn't get to see any of it because he's not like she's just hiding this all from him. It's shocking to me that this story doesn't like turn into the Joseph murders, like how he doesn't just snap and like start hiring hitmen and like taking family out one by one. Like, yeah, to get his daughter back. Yeah, like this it, is a movie. Like, what, that would be a very good movie. Yeah, I feel trying like trying to get his. I mean, weren't there all these like. God, years ago, like the Taken movies and stuff, where oh yeah, Larry goes to get his family back. This is this is that this yeah. is that movie, but in real life. Oh yeah. Uh, on May twenty fifth, two thousand twelve, Charles Value Vallow's nephew, nephew's girlfriend. Sorry, it's a lot. Mandy Leaguer gave birth to a boy, Canon Trahan. Oh gosh, it's a name. Don't worry, it changes. But Canon was 10 weeks premature with drugs in his system. As his parents were both drug addicts, clearly, the child became a ward of the state. Mm -hmm. After seven weeks in the NICU, he was healthy enough to be released, and the state asked the child's grandparents, Larry and Kay Woodcock, if they would adopt or care for him, to which they immediately agreed, bringing him home and renaming him Joshua Jackson, or JJ. That's a little easier to pronounce. Yeah. And so Kay is the sister to charles okay larry reports that he bonded with jj on the first night needing to put the restless baby on his chest to calm him down so uh, i'm sure that you know a little bit about drug babies oh, yeah. um we have to learn about it in school um they their systems um because they're you know they're coming down from all these drugs they cry all the time and they shake and they're very inconsolable and i know a lot of hospitals employ um volunteers that will actually hold like babies because yeah. they need like the continuing need- motion and they need the touch yeah. to help keep them calm as they're basically um, coming down from everything. They're yeah, they're a detox going through a month long of rehab basically. Yeah. Um, so he said that you know he had to put the baby to like skin to skin and then like oh. just hang on to him to keep him calm, which is so sad and adorable it's, at the same time. Yeah, Larry and Kay were wonderful to JJ, but worried about their age and attempting to raise such a young child. Larry even remarked that he'd be in his 70s when J.J. would just be starting school. Oh, wow. A few months later, Charles and Lori offered to adopt J.J. Larry and Kay accepted, knowing that he was still with the family and they could see him whenever they wanted to. But the younger Lori and Charles were better suited to take care of J.J. as he grew. On February 14, 2013, Charles and Lori brought nine-month-old J.J. to their home and started the official adoption process through the state of Louisiana, because that's where Kay and Mm-hmm. Larry lived. Initially, Colby and Tylee were wary at the thought of JJ coming home, but uh, all reports say upon seeing him, the pair both fell in love with him. Oh, I'm sure. Mm-hmm. New new kid. Yeah. As JJ grew, he was diagnosed with autism and needed special care and medication. Tylee grew especially into a protective motherly role towards JJ. After the family settled, Carrie and Kay showed up for a visit and said Lori was on her best behavior, managing to charm them. They really thought they had made the best decision they could have for the welfare of JJ at this I, time. I mean, I don't blame them. It sounds like a, on paper, that's a great decision. Like, mm-hmm. let's let this kid grow up with siblings and a youthful parents. And mm-hmm. yeah, it and makes Charles total sense. Was, 
making wonderful money at this yeah. time. So that definitely going to be, everything's going to be paid for the painting yeah. too. Yeah. I could see how it looked oh, I, wonderful. It would spread. make the most sense. Mm -hmm. Yeah. In early 2014, Charles and Lori uprooted the family again and moved to Kauai. This followed Colby's graduation from high school and JJ's official adoption. Hmm. She told Charles, um, so Lori told Charles that the islands would bring great business opportunities. Prior to her move, Lori, Charles, Janice, and Tylee flew to Kauai to look at property, attempting to keep the information hushed as Joseph still has rights to Tylee. Oh my God, I didn't even think I like you already, forgot like, my brain existed. went away from that. Mm -hmm. Like, oh, now you got to go to Hawaii. <laughs> yeah. On April 22nd, he sent an email requesting to know if they were, if the family were planning to move. Clearly, he'd been tipped off. Five weeks later, Lori used an attorney, H. Lee Dove, to reply, stating that Charles accepted a position in Hawaii and as such, they were moving. Lori herself also emailed on June 12th saying that they were moving and they could negotiate visiting arrangements for Tylee after the Hawaii move. Joseph reminded her that Lori needed con consent to move Tylee and he refused to give it. Still, the family left on August 14th. Lori enrolled Tylee in a Hawaiian school and hired a nanny for JJ. They were followed shortly after by Lori's parents who came out. Lori became an active member in the LDS church there, being appointed to president of the primary, which was a program for children 6 to 12. Oh. I know. Man, I, like, almost can't, like, blame, like, I, I can blame them, but, like, Lori's had no consequences no. for just moving this child around. So, for her to sort of just tell Joseph, like, man, I don't really care that you're not giving me like permission fucking bad. Yeah, yeah i'll i'll talk to you in hawaii bye like i get that because no one's ever done anything about all of these moves that she's doing and and they don't again like yeah. the states completely fail him and, oh and he uprooted from where he was moved down to arizona and now she's like yep now we're gonna go to right. hawaii like i keep moving away from you yeah and making your life worse for trying to dare to be in your own daughter's life right that's what i was thinking when you said he moved to arizona I was like this man is prisoner yeah. the rest of his life he can never settle down anywhere because the second he does she moves she moves mm -hmm. which is ridiculous um, so while she was there she also brief befriended april another recent divorced woman in the church well, at first, Lori would sing the praises of her family. After a while, she began to uh, make small complaints that Charles was lesser for being a convert to the faith, which is yeah. ridiculous. Like, I think that's... There's no better way to get people to join your church than telling them that they're lesser. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, oh, you might come to our faith, but you're still not as good yeah, as us because we were born into it. Literally send your, like, young boys out on missions to try to get them to... Bring people to the church and your your message once they get there is, well, you're just not quite as good. <laughs> Only according to her. Uh, that Lori was more of a conservative Mormon. In early 2015, Alex came home or came out to join the family in Kauai. So now brother Alex oh, is God. there, of course. Lori introduced Alex to her friend April. It was then that she learned about his assault on Joseph. April said that she attempted to avoid Alex because, quote, he was a little off and lacked social skills or maybe just didn't really connect with people, end quote. So even she, like, just meeting this man is like, mm, yeah, he's kind of creepy. You know, like, she I got know. the vibe. Yeah. Yeah. 
that Alex had a fascination with Lori and often compared April to her, which Ooh. is just plain disgusting. Yeah. I mean, I could have told you that my intuition is leaning towards the fact that Alex is a little bit like in love with his sister. Yeah. Not in like the Not brotherly family, way. Yeah. Like, yeah. Ew. Ew. That summer, Colby returned to the mainland for an LDS mission in, in Idaho, but returned shortly after. Lori considered this a failure, and Charles gave Colby an ultimatum. Get a job or get out. Colby worked for Ace Hardware, then Foodland, before quitting and flying back to Arizona, where he started college. During this time, Joseph began drinking heavily, owing to the issues of his custody with Tylee. His attorney paid for a ticket to his sister Annie's so that he could get back on his feet, but he never made it. Oh. He was found in an advanced state of decomposition on April 2nd, 2018, in his own apartment. The official cause of death was a heart attack. Oh, Joseph. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I didn't... She killed him. Yeah. And I didn't really touch on it, but, um, so after the whole, um, taser incident, he ended up having, like, a series of heart-related issues. I'm sure. And I'm sure the anxiety on top of it, and then he started drinking, like, his oh, heart just couldn't take She killed it. him. She did. She killed him. If I was Joseph's sister, I can tell you, I would be trying to set a precedence in the courts. Oh, 100% like, civil suit. Suing her, yeah. Civil suit, for I would, sure. Civil, and then I would attempt to try to, like, get a jury to hear it criminally. Mm. Which would be incredibly hard to prove, but... I don't know if there would be any, like, criminal precedent for... I mean, I'm sure there is, but for taking Tylee away because you can't legally do that, but there wouldn't be any criminal... For his death, it would be all be a civil suit. I would try to like pin it on Alex. <laughs> I think that's what I would. I would try to like show the evidence that that taser like screwed his heart. Yeah. And if it was within the statute of limitations and his cause of death was a heart attack, I would attempt to try to. I love that you have all these fanatical ideas. Oh, that man. Happen it just is because I get so passionate and I, I start making up all this random crap that like I'm like, yeah, that's what I would do. Ultimately, I'd be like, it would never work, going to but... a funeral and trying to make it look really beautiful, and yeah. you know, grieving the way a normal person does. I would not be trying to like. I know, but I love go to the action. Supreme Court. <laughs> I love it. That's great. On June first, two thousand sixteen, the IRS issued a notice of levy on Janice's Social Security, as she owed an un owed unpaid taxes in the amount of four hundred twenty-five thousand from two thousand one to two thousand ten. That's how... they're still not paying taxes. That's how they can fly and move to hawaii they have an extra half a million dollars that they're not paying people the government yeah and six months later janice filed a complaint against the u.s stating that she was immune from paying taxes oh my god not surprisingly on may 21st 2017 the u.s district court for the district of hawaii denied janice's claims yeah and soon after barry and janice fled hawaii yeah Lori, Charles, Tylee, and JJ followed quickly after moving back to Chandler, Arizona. This move was the start of Lori and Charles' uh, relationship woes. In 2018, the family and friends stated that there was a marked change in Lori. Once a devout LDS member, she began talking about the spirits and the world ending. She dove into the works of Chad Daybell's book and discovered the Avow, which is another voice of warning website. Uh, that teaches end the of, vow? a vow, a vow, another voice of warning, mm. a website that teaches end of times preparation, 
as it is was touted to be imminent. She learned of multiple probations, which is continual reincarnation until perfection is achieved. Is this why they moved to Idaho? Yes, it is. Ah, see? You'll learn more about him. (laughs) Family photos were replaced with photos of the temple. Still, she managed to enroll JJ in the Lauren Institute for Education or Life, which catered to special needs children. JJ, who was now five, suffered from insomnia and would sneak out of the house, requiring Charles to deadbolt the entire house as well as add extra alarms. Oh, my God. Charles also got Bailey uh, a service dog named Bailey, a black golden doodle. Oh. And Colby started dating Kelsey while in college, and then the two got engaged. Lori hated that Colby was going to a Christian college and, as a result, didn't care for Kelsey. Kelsey remarked that Lori treated her more like competition than family, which is gross. Like, we're just continuing. So it's Alex, Lori, and now Lori Colby. Yeah. At the time of their wedding, which was in January of 2018, uh, it did occur in Lori and Charles' backyard. Honestly, I feel like Charles was more of the player in this. He was probably like, no, come to the house. We can totally support you. And Lori brought everyone except Tylee, who was late. Some reports say that she was missing altogether and didn't come, but she. Um, some other reports say that she was just late, but it made her miss all the wedding photos. And in later reports, Colby says that his one biggest regret is that he doesn't have any photos of her at the wedding. Wait, so the mom, like, Lori she, just left her home, or no? Or, I the, mean, they were in their house. Home. Like, no, Tylee was out, and some. So it, it got a little confusing because in the reports that say that she didn't come altogether. Lori's like, oh, she was on a ski trip. Huh. Um, but then there's other reports that say that she did show up for, like, the reception and stuff. But by that time, all the wedding photos are done. Right. Everything's, like, taken care of. And that's when she showed up. So she didn't show up for the actual wedding. She made it to the reception. But I don't know where she was for that part mm. if she wasn't at the ski trip. But she there's, was yeah. locked in a cellar down below the house. Not no. likely. <laughs> but... She was missing either way if she didn't show up at all or she was just there for only the reception. So there's no photos of her at this wedding. So there's the whole family. Right. No Tylee. Which is ridiculous. That is. Two months after this, Charles' mother died and the funeral was held in Lake Charles, Louisiana. And Charles attended alone because Lori just refused to go. Oh, my God. Okay. Like, that is such a red flag. Yeah. She's like, I'm not going. I'm, I'm not sure going. there's been many red flags before that moment in a relationship. <laughs> like, that would be a big one. Yeah. That would be a big, big one. It was then that Larry and Kay noticed the strained relationship. Larry said that he thought Charles was still in love and said, quote, I think that was simply his downfall to his death, end quote. Oh. Uh, at the same time, Lori started spiraling. She spoke often of the end of times, stocking up on bulk food items. In October 20... Ooh, I don't know what year I wrote the wrong year. Because it's a year that hasn't come yet. Oh. <laughs> Shoot. Maybe it's the year the world ends. No, and you just predicted I just, it. Yeah. I think it's 2018. Uh, she attended, attended a church class in Mesa, run by fellow Mormon and life coach Melanie Gibb. Lori sought her out after the class, and Melanie said they hit it off right away. 
Melanie described her as Lori as a super fan of Chad Daybell's and what was her link to being able to meet him. Who is, who's Chad Daybell? We're going to get into okay, it. Okay. I just wasn't sure if I, like, that's like a common knowledge, like, it is name. A it sounds, I was going to say, it sounds like quite familiar to me, yeah. but I just can't, like, pull it from my brain. Yeah. I did mention him just a little bit earlier yeah, that you, he had written some books and she was reading. Right. I, so he's a writer and she gets kind of obsessed with his writings and then he'll come, he ends up being a big part of the story. Okay. And so, spoiler alert, this is going to be a three-parter. Um, so I'll talk about her. Love it. And then I will talk about him. And then I will kind of look okay. at everything that happens. All right. But there will be one short episode just about him so you can get, get a sense of his Got craziness. It. Okay. On top of her crazy. Um, Alex and Lori also at this time started a podcast called Feel the Fire. And they continued with the end of times speak. They were also joined by like-minded people um, like her friend Melanie Gibb and Zulima Pastines. Chad claims in his preachings that Rexburg, Idaho is the new Jerusalem and will be the place everyone can go that is saved at the end of times. So according to their his teachings or his beliefs, there's like 144,000 people or something that will make it through the end of times and they all have to go to Rexburg and this is where they're going to live and it, it's a whole thing but Rexburg Idaho is the place to be the new Jerusalem yes that's great so again he is an extremist who wants to be seen as the savior and his writings his books should be seen as the guide Lori reads these books and is just like I said she soaks them in like she right. believes everything she believes all of his words and all of this continues to spiral her and her crazy, Man, like, ideals. I would almost love to have a brain like that. Like, I Again, mean, like, what, just like, what? No, I mean, like, just like, you're so, like, I don't know. You're just so, can, everything, you just trust it. Like, you don't have any bit of, like, this sounds crazy. Like, I don't know. It just seems like a, what a wonderful fantasy world a person can live in. Like, reality doesn't exist for them. So. Although I guess their reality is that the world is ending. So maybe that's not as much fun either. Yeah. There's a lot of world ending cults that have been out there. Oh, yeah. None of them sound fun. Yeah. They usually end a lot of worlds. <laughs> Lori and Melanie soon drove 415 miles to attend a two-day preparing of the people conference in which Chad Daybell spoke about his two near-death experiences and that the spirit brought the people to this meeting. After which, Chad, the self-proclaimed doomsday writer, and Lori met at a book signing. Immediately, they started talking, and Chad claimed that Lori was a translated being and that the pair had been married seven times in past lives. Mm. So he, they just meet, and he's just like, oh, we've totally been married seven times. Like, we've been together a lot. Uh, uh, to someone who's already a little bit of, like, a groupie, that would be, like, the greatest thing ever to hear. <laughs> be like oh my god like i knew it yeah that's why i just that's why i just can't put your books down yeah yeah for the rest of the conference the pair were inseparable chad was married to tamara or tammy and the two had five children at this time but their marriage had been rocky as of late mm -hmm. and Lori was a still slim beautiful blonde who soaked in his every word so she's not out oh yeah like, he's like she's the best person ever to enter into his life <laughs> 
Yeah. The best person in the worst way. Yeah. Yeah. Chad continued to assure Lori that God brought them together. At the end of the conference, the two exchanged numbers and agreed to meet up again when Chad was due to speak in Mesa, Arizona. Lori also asked Chad to gauge who in her life were light spirits and who were dark spirits. And Chad made an immediate list of his quote-unquote analysis, which included her entire family and ex-husbands. He placed Tylee as a dark spirit, while JJ remained as a light one at this time, emailing this compiled list to Lori four days later on October 30th. For two weeks, the two emailed and talked on burner phones. And so this, like, light and dark spirit thing, I think I, I might have talked about it later, like, put it in as a later note. But it's basically, like, light spirits obviously are good, and dark spirits are clearly the, the bad right. ones. And there's, like, a different, like, level that they get into, like... At one point, the dark spirits can become zombies, and they're inhabited oh. by other spirits, and they're no longer themselves, and it becomes this whole mess of, I don't, I don't even know how to describe it. It's just crazy. It, it's, it's just crazy. a mess of crazy. You can't. Again, like the brain that can believe that crap. Yes. It's a wild brain. It's a... I don't even know how you're like, yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. They're no longer that person's. A different spirit that is bad is inhabiting them, and they're a zombie. Like, where? I, I don't know. It's again, if you could see my face, it's like, <laughs> like, okay, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Uh, so on November 15th, Lori hosted a small group of friends along with Chad while Charles was out of town. That weekend was again another one of the people's, they call it PAP for short, conference. They, they and call it what? P-A-P? Mm-hmm. Mm. Uh, so there was another conference in Mesa. That weekend, Chad informed Lori that she was meant to lead the 144,000 souls, again, that I just talked about, um, who would usher in the end of times and the second coming of Jesus. Chad, of course, was meant to be the king. Of course. Of course. Yeah. After that weekend, Lori... Uh, soured against Charles altogether. Charles felt the strain and confided his feelings to his sister Kay. He also looked into her computer and found photos and videos of herself dancing being sent to Chad where she's like either like you know like not nude but like in like bra and underwear or lingerie and like dancing for him taking all these photos and he's like these aren't to me. Right. Uh, Her husband. Videos that are a little risque for the like newly well not newly converted but her mormon husband yes um, should be seeing them maybe yeah <laughs> she tells or he tells Kay at this time oh sorry Kay tells charles i was like wait um quote charles if she hasn't had an affair she is about to she is with this man and that's what all this is about end quote Lori, meanwhile, tells Melanie that Chad had constructed a portal in her closet so that they could commune eerily whenever they wanted to. That's that's a really incredible skill that Chad has. Yes. Build a portal inside of someone's closet. (laughs) And Charles doesn't notice said portal? I know. It's a pretty... How do you do this? How do you make... Definitely sell that on TaskRabbit. An invisible portal. That only you can see with your new that's, flame. That's so crazy. <laughs> so crazy. 
Uh, Lori also started sending 30-day emergency supplies of food and equipment to close friends and family. That would be a great gift, honestly, though. I mean, right? I would love that. Like, you're like bulk food she's supplies. She's crazy. Okay. But, like, a little bit of, like, a doomsday package, like, in the garage or basement. Like, I can get on board with that a little bit. <laughs> if someone sent me that, I would be totally okay with you're that. Like, don't come any closer to me. We're not actually friends, but thank you for this gift. Yeah. Go away. Yep. Like, I don't want you in my life. Yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll reach out to you after the world has ended. Correct. <laughs> yeah. By the end of the year, Lori told Chad that Charles would die before the end of the year. And when that didn't happen, she was deeply upset. Lori starts claiming Charles is cheating. She hears more voices and begins telling people that her husband is already dead and was replaced with Ned Snyder or Nick Snyder, depending on who she's talking to. Chad had called Lori in January of 2019 to tell her about uh, Charles being taken over. Nick Schneider was an old acquaintance of Charles and was roaming around in limbo after dying, then managed to take over Charles' body. That's according to Chad. <laughs> that is crazy. There are some wild stories that he managed to uncover. Like, I could see how why he was a writer. Yeah. This is very fantastical. This is the point in which Chad also introduces Lori to zombies, like I told mm-hmm. just a minute ago. A person whose spirit has left their physical body and was taken over by a dark spirit. On January 22nd, 2019, Chad sends an email to Lori, including another breakdown of who is light and dark, as well as their level and past lives. In this email, JJ is still a light spirit. After this email, Lori decides to stop um, filling JJ's risperidone. While it is classified as an antipsychotic, it can be used as a mood stabilizer in those with autism. Um, so just if I didn't want, I didn't want to say risperidone and then everybody's like, wait, does he have a psych diagnosis if they think? Right, right. It's because he has autism and it can help with uh, mood for them. For eight months, JJ deconditioned without his medication, all while Lori was actively recruiting people, which of course included Alex, their nephew, Zach, states that Alex, quote, is mentally, uh, he was always off. He was a weird guy and definitely easy to manipulate. And Lori was very manipulative. Unquote. Like clearly. Yeah. So some family can see it, but a lot of people yeah. were reined in by Lori. Charles begins relaying information to family members, including her mother, uh, his mother. Oh no, Lori's mother and son. Sorry. I know what I'm talking about. I swear. I believe that. A lot of people. <laughs> I'm like, wait, who am I? T- wait. <laughs> Hang on. It's the, we're in the family drama part, which is going to be a lot of names, moving parts. I yes, feel. <laughs> there is. And yeah. I didn't even include all of them. Like, I some of it, I was like, that's not really relevant to the yeah. Lori portion. So I'm just going to omit. Like, otherwise, this could go on for yeah. forever. I mean, I feel like this is the part of the story where you would be like, I, I'd be calling Every family member I have extended whoever. Mm-hmm. Once Lori reached out to me, I'd be like, have you talked to this crazy bitch? Where, like, what's going yeah. on with her? Like, so Charles is basically doing that. He's yeah. reaching out to Everybody. all of her family and was like, do you see what's happening? Yeah. Like, this, what, what like, is what's going happening? on? Yeah. Like, where's her mental state? Yeah. Um, and they all believe that he's reaching out because they're having marital issues because on the backside, Lori has been telling them he's a cheater and all this like terrible stuff about Charles. So right. they're just like, oh, you're reaching out 
because now it's coming to a breaking point because you did something. Right. You got to protect your name. Yeah. Yeah. When really that's not the case. Yeah, that was Lori's family smart. therefore sides with her and most of them cut off Charles. I bet you Chad was the one who told her to do that. It seems too smart. I don't know. She's very manipulative in a lot of ways. Yeah, so she, she does have a lot of these undercurrents where she was like manipulating the situations yeah, with before her she met Chad. And, yeah. I mean, the whole Joseph situation yeah. was all her. Yeah. So, right. um, on January 29th, 2019, after going on an overnight work trip, Lori canceled Charles' return ticket and then had his items removed from their residence. <laughs> She also had his truck moved from the airport parking lot to another location. So just took his means of transportation. It was like, she had like a spare set of keys and just went and took it. Oh my God. Mm -hmm. What a horrible trip. Human being. What a horrible trip too. And it's just an overnight trip. Like literally I need to fly down, do some business. I'll be right back. And then she's like, I'm moving all your shit out in a day. Oh she um so Lori also moved $35,000 out of their account into a new one with only her name on it and through messages Lori continued to claim to have found information that Charles was cheating on her and claimed that's why she was removing everything which again is not the case she also called him Nick Snyder and told him she knew his body was taken over threatening to kill him um Police, yeah. So this is the point that if you see the documentary, you can see when he comes home and he's like, I can't enter my own home. Like, the locks are already changed. I Like, my truck is gone. The lights are out. I have two kids that are in there. Because, again, Colby's off to college. Right, like he's having right. his own life. He's married. He's a grown-up. Tylee and JJ are still there. Yeah. And JJ is his family's, like, right. kid. Like, right. It just... And um, he's just like, my kids are in there. I can't get a hold of them. He calls the police to try and enter the home. And there's all this body cam footage where they're just like, "Mm, you sure about that? Basically, I'm like, God dang. Um, But they do end up entering the home. And Lori was not there. Um, The house was just empty. Charles reports again over police body cam footage that Lori had threatened to kill him. That she was hearing voices and believed that she was a god of sorts. She also believed that the world was ending and that Charles was no longer himself. Instead, he was a doppelganger named Nick. So he reports all of this to police. He's yeah. Like, this is everything that's happening. Charles even reports that he went to a mental health facility in their state and they required a mandatory evaluation. Police still, even with all this information um, that they were given, say it was her legal right to leave with the children. And I was curious about that. I didn't look a whole, whole lot into it, but I'm guessing it's because that they were married so there's no precedence right, in right. leaving, right? Whereas yeah. if they were divorced and then she just stole the children, then it becomes an abduction situation. Right. But because they're married, nobody has like defined legal custody. Right. She's allowed to leave with them, which is shady. I mean, all of this is shady. That, yeah. Like, I, yeah, this is the point as well that Sam starts going down her crazy tangents. I know. And I go, okay, I would be getting on the phone. Yeah, <laughs> everyone I possibly could. But you have to like, do this like legally, and he and Charles seems like a very sound mind. Oh, totally. Where he's like, well, I can't just start going ever. You know, like I need to do this, and he does. So, in an effort to ensure of the safety of his kids, Charles drove to JJ's school the next day, 
and confronted Lori as she pulled up to drop off JJ. He confronts her and she takes off. So he again calls the police and relays the information. And later that day, Lori went to the police station and gave her report of what happened, even telling them that she did have all his possessions removed his truck and from the airport parking lot. Still, body cam footage of the police. Uh, Lori, they tell Lori that uh, she doesn't want to go to the psych. So she says, like, I don't want to go to psychiatric evaluation. Um, and they were like, well, if you don't want to go and somebody comes knocking on your door, talk through it, but don't open it. The police oh. are telling her this. The police are like, well, if you don't want to get a mental health eval, which your husband is saying that you're reporting that you're going to kill him, um, then just, see just don't open the door. Woman. Just don't open the door. I'm going to Google a picture of this woman. I can't released. believe you've never seen her. Oh, my goodness. Like, she has to be so hot. Like... <laughs> She's not. Like, I don't understand how, like, I feel like if. And she's, like, laughing and giggling in this interview and was like, yeah, he took my keys and my wallet because, like, he grabbed her purse to try and keep her from taking off so that they could sort things out. And he gives it back, but um, Charles gives it back. But still, like, how dare the police be like, just don't open the door. I feel like it's a mental health evaluation. There's a very good reason. If somebody's claiming that they're going to kill somebody, maybe don't advise them not to go to the mental health evaluation. All right. She's quite beautiful, as you said. Yeah. Like long blonde hair. Every picture I'm seeing here, it's always curled like. Yeah. And when she and when she wants to have personality, she can. In the interview, she does a very good job about being like this bouncy, like type personality. Whereas. Charles is very like cut and dry, very clearly worried about his own children. Yeah, she looks like she could be like a real housewife mm-hmm. on any of those shows. Yeah. So four days later, Charles filed an order of protection against Lori, claiming that she was a danger to their son, JJ, and requesting that she be ordered to stay away from their home and the life school that he attended. The order outlines the claims that she had been making that she was a god and hearing voices that she would have to murder people if they attempted to stop her. Lori had moved in with brother Alex 30 miles away in Santan Valley. The process servers were unable to serve the protection order as Lori didn't answer because the police just fucking told her not to. Right. And she stopped going to church in an effort to continue to not be served. So she knew. Yeah. Like the second she walked outside, someone have access to her yeah and can serve her with this information that she doesn't want Lori did end up returning jj to charles but refused to give up any medication or his ipad that had special developmental apps on it charles filed for divorce on february 8th 2019 under the guidance of his lawyer he changed his life insurance policy from soon to be ex-wife um to his sister Kay. initially when attempting to make the change, he found out his password was changed on the website and, like, couldn't get in, oh. <laughs> which is red flag a number little, a million. Yeah, a little. Uh... So he had to put in a request for investigation before ultimately being able to move forward with the change. So he knew. Like, oh, he knew. Who has access to this? Yeah. Like, okay, if somebody's making like, these things in my policy, I'm going to be suspicious yeah. of you unless we have talked about it. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. (laughs) On February 10th, 
Lori and Tylee fly back to Hawaii, telling April they needed to stay because her and Charles were divorcing. April describes Lori to be manic at this time in her appearance. Lori even told her that she was waiting for a call that Charles was dead. Oh, no. Yeah. For the next six weeks, Lori and Tylee moved between the mainland and Kauai, kind of back and forth. And on March 1st, Charles dropped the divorce case. On the 9th, he emailed Lori asking her to come home for the sake of JJ. So he, I mean, he is very clearly way too in love with this woman. Uh, yeah. And he's like, like trying to reconcile the family, which I can understand. They have kids together. It's probably a lot on JJ, who's autistic. Also witnessed what she did to Joseph. Like he was around for that, Charles. Like, yeah, but he, I think at the time, thought that that guy was a pedophile. Right. But like, now maybe he's on the other some end. like pieces start to click potentially. And, or like even like subconsciously, yeah. there's a bit of like, oh my God, I'm about to lose. Yeah. I don't know if anything really clicked in that sense because I'm sure he's going through enough stress that he's just thinking See, about the here and now. I'm giving him the benefit of the doubt because if he still loves this woman, he's fucking crazy himself. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> I am giving him the benefit of the doubt that he just goes, I don't want to lose my children, so I, I'm going to love her. Yeah, I really think that he wanted to keep the kids yeah. together. Um, on the ninth, like I said, he asked, uh, he emailed Lori asking her to come home for JJ. 11 days later, he sent another email giving her one more chance to show up for JJ. Without answer, JJ was packed up and sent to Larry and Kay while he prepared to move to Houston. So he was like, all right, well, you're not showing up. So we're just, we're going to leave. But at the end of March, Lori showed up to the house as he was packing with Kay. And after an exchange, Charles took Lori back, Uh, which is unfortunate. It's very unfortunate. The first week of April, Lori and Tylee moved into Charles's new rental house in Houston. And Lori used that time to move out move any money Charles was adding to their account back into her own. So she had her own reasonings for coming home. She wanted more money. It's yeah. clear. Um, and after two months left again, he found um, a rental for her, Tylee and JJ and Chandler, Arizona, and basically booked it for them to stay. Cause he still wanted his kids to have a roof over their head. There, Lori enrolled JJ in a summer, pro- summer program at the life school that he had been attending and had a live-in nanny. On June 21st, Lori went online to find out uh, how many social security disability payments she would receive in the event of Charles' death after filling out an application form on a free benefits evaluation. So there's like search history of this. Oh, that's... Red flag number 10,000. Yeah, yeah. It was there that she learned that she would get about $4,000 a month. And this would be on top of the $1 million life insurance policy she thought was still in her name. Because oh. she had put it in her name and then changed Again, the password. Again, womp womp. Mm-hmm. <laughs> My sound effects this episode. I know. On June 29th, Charles believes that Lori is continuing with her affair and is in this extremist group telling his suspicions um, to Adam. So he reaches out to other brother, Adam. Who seems more stable while letting him know um, what was going on and to reach out to Tammy. So he's like, Hey, like there's this Chad dude, right? Chad is married to Tammy. I'm going to tell her. So he loops her in on the potential affair with the husband. Yeah. Adam was living out of state at the time. And we heard about everything going on through Charles. Um, 
and Charles so had sent him emails that Lori had sent to Chad. So he just forwarded everything and was like, you need to read this. There's something wrong. Um, Adam finds all this information to be strange and agrees to fly to see Lori for a staged intervention on July 10th. Adam flies into Arizona and Charles heads home to pick up JJ. As Charles flies to Houston to see JJ and take part of the intervention, Janice tells Lori about the upcoming events and Lori immediately asks Alex to spend the night. So Lori she, gets yeah. tipped off. <laughs> Big brother. Yes. Again, telling Alex that it was time to do the Lord's work. Alex brought along a Springfield um, XDM 45, which he had a concealed carry permit for. And um, when I heard this, I can say I was a little surprised. Many states won't allow a felon with a violent crime or domestic violence on their record the ability to own a gun, let alone a concealed per- permit. So he had on his record right. the attack on Joseph, right, which is considered a violent crime, but he still had a concealed carry permit. So I was just surprised by that. That's my little one-off thought. That was in Texas, though, right? Um, they're in Arizona. Oh, they're in Arizona now for this. Yeah. Yeah. Still, I think that two states, Texas or Arizona, maybe makes yeah. a little sense to me. Yeah, I, it doesn't make sense to me. I, I mean, it doesn't make any sense to me either, but the gun cultures. Yeah. Like so, like I said, most states, if you have a violent crime or domestic violence, like so, loot, like, like Washington, Oregon, Michigan, they all carry the same. Like you cannot, if you are a felon with a violent crime, which can be anything, right? you cannot carry a gun. Forever. Yeah. yeah. I, so I actually, a coworker of ours has told me a story of her ex who was in Texas and he was a felon and he had a gun uh, in Texas and he was legally allowed to, but he like followed her up to Washington and she knew that he had like followed and he was harassing her. So the second he got into Washington, she called the police knowing that he had a gun. Yeah. And then he got put in, it's like a life sentence after that. Yeah. Um, so again, it depends on the crime because if it's nonviolent, you can legally carry guns after. It's very specific crimes that you right. can't. That's why I say if it's a vi- considered a violent crime, which tasing somebody and attacking them would be considered violent. Because um, I know my ex couldn't, for when we were up in Washington, he applied for his concealed carry permit and got denied. He could still own guns, but he couldn't have a concealed carry permit. Right. Um, because he had domestic violence on his record. It um, got, and it was just the arrest record. He wasn't even sentenced for anything related to, like, I think he beat up a dude yeah. in a bar. And they still labeled it as, like, domestic. Because Texas. <laughs> but, um, and he pled to it. Um, so that's why he could have the firearm, but he couldn't. And because... Washington saw that he was arrested for right. domestic violence, not charged, not sentenced, arrested. Yeah. They were like, yeah, you can't ever have a concealed carry unless you get that fixed. And so he never got his concealed carry. Yeah, I like definitely I know Washington is going to be pretty strict. Yeah, well, and Oregon usually follows suit with what Washington yeah. does. Um, so One, we have like, pretty similar laws. Like Either Oregon starts it and then Washington follows or vice versa, yeah. I feel like. I feel like it's normally Washington yeah. that starts it. And we're like, we should do that. We too. should do that also. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No matter what it is. 
Charles arrived at the house at 7.35 a.m. that day and realized Alex was home, texting Adam about it. Adam texts back to be careful because he thought his siblings were up to something. So everybody knows something is fucking happening. Mm -hmm. The next report is Alex calling 911, stating that he had gotten into a fight with Charles and shot him. On the call, you can hear the operator talking to him about through CPR. Later, though, it is reported that Alex never attempted to follow the operator's guidance. Because um, you can tell post-mortem if somebody's gotten CPR. Oh, definitely. There are some broken ribs, typically, that follow with it. Police arrive and guide Alex out of the house, entering to find um, the, a deceased Charles with two gunshot wounds to his chest. Oh. And this is where I'm going to leave you for part one. Oh, no. Okay. No. Yes. So, they made that, like, oh. Yeah, and poor innocent Charles. I feel like uh, the fact that he just was too trusting, like too yeah. love. Love was like his demise here. It was. Oh. Yeah, and so everybody else has to wait a week for the rest of this. Um, but for everybody out there listening, be careful. It's a dangerous world we live in. 